Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. This week, all week long, we have been continuing in the first chapter of the book of Job. So in this time together, we're going to read aloud together Job 1, 18 through 22. It's in your listening sheet. So if you would find that and then stand with us and we're going to read this aloud together. This then is the text for today. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. May God bless the reading of his word. It's just a part of one verse. It's a single phrase. It fell on the young people and they died. In those nine words, Job learns that his ten children have been killed in an accident. It's a tragic act of nature. An east wind ripped across came to the house where they were celebrating, and it caused the walls to crash in, killing every one of Job's children. Those nine words, it fell on the young people and they died. They don't seem like enough. In that kind of moment, it seems too matter-of-fact. Your kids are dead. I mean, how can it be so brief these ten lives that Job has loved dearly and has cared for faithfully were in one breath alive and in nine words, they were dead. Now to be clear, Job also lost his oxen, he lost his donkeys, he lost his sheep, his camels. All of this would have been a significant portion of his wealth. But to lose a child is categorically different. And it's hard because no one tells you how to behave when your child dies. It's, it's left up to you. And even in that moment, it feels like you're alone when you're at a death like this, when you come to a moment of grief and pain where you're stricken in this way. 
It's hard. You're stuck on an island, and it seems like everybody else in the world is enjoying their day, oblivious to the torrent of emotion flooding over you. It's all disorienting when we have to face death like this, especially when something like the death of a child happens to us. Because to the mourner, to the one who is bereaved, life comes to a halt. It's, it seems that everything has stopped and everything should stop when we are faced with death like this. I mean, life as we know it is over. And if, if life is over like this, everything should come to a complete stop. It's difficult for us to process that our neighbor is still going to work. And he got into his car with a smile on his face this morning. It's difficult for us to process as, as we're working through these kinds of things and, and deepening grief, we begin to think things like, why are all the red lights still working? Why is everybody just going on about their business? Why are the birds still singing? Should they be singing when a part of us has died and our lives are never going to be the same? Should everything just go on just like it's been going day after day? And, and our mind it becomes like this emotional pendulum. It swings just back and forth between sadness and fury and fury and sadness. And it hurts. When we hear the birds sing or, or when we see our neighbor going to work, the only thing that we can come up with is no one understands. And loneliness lingers over us like it's our only companion. And, and you, you can stay home and be lonely, or you can go out, but, e but even, if you, if, even if you leave home, it's lonely, because when you go to the grocery store, it's almost like you're disembodied. And, and nobody, nobody understands this heavy grief that's building up inside of you like a secret that you could cr scream across the store. But even if you screamed across the store, they still wouldn't understand the kind of pain that you're dealing with. You know, I was surprised how many people understood, though. You know, it certainly isn't the same as Job's situation, but... Amy and I lost a baby in pregnancy about 10 years ago. And I was astonished in the grief how many people had similar stories and were able to relate to my wife better than I could. And you know, it's in painful moments like that where Scripture begins to reveal its depth. It's in this kind of pain and this kind of suffering where, where the, the treasures of Scripture come off the page and are an ointment to our souls. Scripture is not a collection of, of pithy phrases to stay strong in adversity. But what you see in these pages, and what we've seen even in one chapter of Job, is that the Scripture is full of engulfing stories that treat deep human pain with the grace of heaven. You know, it is difficult, though, because there are so many that come to Scripture and they open these pages hoping that they're going to find a step-by-step -step process to avoid suffering. 
think we can turn in the pages and we can crack the code so that we no longer have to suffer like the rest of the world suffers. We hope that we can find in here a kind of solution that's something like this, that if I go to church for long enough, then I won't have to suffer like other people have to suffer. Or if I go out and I do a few good deeds, I won't have to deal with the kind of pain that something like Job had to deal with that maybe we can avoid these unforeseen kind of sufferings if we can crack the code. But that isn't reality. That's, that's not the way this works. That's not the way Scripture works. That's not the way the world works. And Scripture only deals with reality. In fact, this is where we find reality grounded, is in the truth of the Word of the Lord our God. So you're not going to be able to make some kind of holy contract to come to God and avoid suffering in this world. The, the human experience is, is laced with sin to the point that all of us are going to suffer in it. We want to be able to say to God, God, if I do this, then you go ahead and do this and take away the suffering. That's not reality. That's not the way it works. That's not the way these pages unfold. That's not who Jesus is. Suffering has taken deep root on this earth ever since Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. Sin has grabbed a hold of humanity and imparted decay towards death. And this is only going to end at the end of time. So unfortunately, for those looking to avoid suffering, God doesn't lift his children up out of humanity. Instead, God did the opposite. He didn't lift us up out of the suffering. Instead, God came in the incarnation as his only begotten son to suffer with us. See, he sent his only begotten into the throes of death that we face daily so that we have a Savior who has experienced the suffering of humanity and can walk with us through it. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am not alone, but my Savior is with me, leading in grief. You know, at the death of God's only begotten Son, we get the sense that both God and creation are grieving at this loss. See, God knows full well the plan. God knows that new life is on the other side of the grave. God knows full well that his son is going to rise in three days. Yet still, we see cosmic grief on display. Matthew 27 tells us that when Jesus was crucified at noon, the sky became as dark as the night. That when Jesus was crucified at noon, the, the earth began to shake. Boulders were split in two. And in fact, the temple veil was torn from top to bottom. That this death was heartbreaking to God, repulsive to creation. And antithesis to God. So that even as Christ died as a sacrifice, whole situation was grief-stricken. And so we find in Job chapter 1 this ever-increasing bleakness of death. First his livestock, his servants, his children. In the, the first part of today's text, in, in the first part of the, the first paragraph, you see these announcements. There's, there's four announcements that come right before what we read in the service. 
And the, these four announcements present death as coming from every corner of the globe and trapping Job so that he cannot escape without staring death in the eye. And, and Job has to respond to this, this wave of death and these waves that come from every direction. You know, often it, it feels like it's best to ignore death. And, and we hope that if we ignore it, death will pass by and move on so that we don't have to face it. Job didn't get that luxury. See, there's no way he's going to be able to suppress this into a forgotten corner of consciousness. He has to deal with what's in front of him. And, and, and we get this in verse 20. It's a short verse. But even in this short verse, we see all of these moments of action that, that move Job from, from the moment of the message of death into his responses to death. And these responses, the Job's responses, give us hope and clarity and, and steps of walking through grief. You see, as you work through the pages of Scripture, we don't learn how to avoid suffering, but we learn how to walk through grief with grace. See, Job doesn't run away here. Instead, there are these series of intentional acts that confront the reality of death in a way that overcomes the terror. See, Job gets up, he says he tears his robes, he says he shaves his head. And, and I know that this sounds like a, a, an outburst of emotion to us, but that's not what this is. These were typical ways that you see grief and mourning on display in the Old Testament. Reuben and Joshua tore their robes. The, the prophets called for shaving of heads in laments. And so you, you see that, that Job is, is walking through this grief in, in a way that, that's healthy and, and ritualistic for the Old Testament time. And then it says he fell down and he worshiped. See, all this, this takes place over the course of time to help Job work through the pain of death that has just befallen his family. And we need this. Every one of us in this room, when we are faced with death, we need this time of mourning. And this is why, through the years and through the ages, the church has been the guardian of the funeral. This is why we, we call people together around the deceased to tell stories of their lives and to worship together. Because it's only through the, the lens of Scripture and the teachings of our Lord that we are able to process death. And, and as we process death, we recognize our own frail place in this world. And the, the church is the best place possible for us to process death in our lives even when we have to bury our own children. You know, every other day, on this earth, we can, we can walk around like we own the place. But when we're faced with death and we're standing next to a grave site, we're staring at our own coming fate and we begin to realize that life is something deeper than flesh and blood. 
That life is, is something deeper than what we have and what we possess and what we can touch. In those moments, we, we begin to recognize that, that, that life is deeper than that. And it points us to a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that relationship with Jesus Christ matters more than anything else on this earth. It matters more than our possessions. It matters more than what's near us. It is that relationship with Jesus Christ that holds this all in order. It's pretty amazing at the, the end of this chapter in verse 22, it, it's striking and convicting. We hear that Job didn't sin and he didn't blame God through all of this, even as he had to bury his children and deal with the loss of his life that was all around him. He didn't sin and he didn't blame God once. And that's striking because in our flesh, we often want to fight back against God when we're faced with this, especially the death of a child. So often we hear at the death of a child, a parent look up and say, Lord, why didn't you take me? There, there are times that question turns into a man and say, God, take me and not my child. Let them live and not me, Father. And in our grief, we, we demand God to answer us. But Job doesn't do it. As the text presses forward, we hear Job's word in worship. It's verse 21. This is all we know of that time of worship that Job had in that day of grief. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knows his place as a servant of the Lord. See, the reality of our existence is that the treasures of heaven are much different than the treasures of earth, and the treasures of heaven are far more valuable than what we find here and now. You know, it's, it's pretty incredible what, what we saw last week when Satan came onto the scene. And we were reminded of that, that day where, where Satan was tempting Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And when, when Satan is tempting Jesus, he's offering him things of this world. He's saying, Jesus, I know you're hungry. Here is your food. And he want, wants Jesus to, to lay out bread in front of himself. We hear Satan prod Jesus and say, angels will protect you from death. Even if you tried to jump right now, the angels would come and take care of you. Satan offers Jesus the wealth of the kingdoms across the globe, and he says, I can give you all of this. And Satan threw that at Jesus at the beginning of his ministry to throw him off and to get Jesus off course and, and, and away from that which he was called to do. But Jesus kept on. And he kept on even as he approached the cross. I want you to think back with me and remember, just before Jesus' trial, right after Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, what does Jesus tell them? It's Matthew 26, 53. And Jesus tells him, he tells him to stop and he heals the guy. But Jesus says in that moment, he says, I could call down 72,000 angels to fight for me in this moment. We could get out of this suffering and we could get away from this pain and we could run away from death and I could call down legions of angels to take us out of this suffering and out of this pain. 
But the Son of God was to bear the burden of death so that its sting would not be permanent. Jesus' death would offer us a, a way through the pain and into the kingdom of God so that when we face the reality of death or even we have to face something like burying a child, we may want God to send down 72,000 angels to save us from suffering. But instead of sending legions of angels, God reaches down from heaven with the saving power of his right hand, and he comforts those who mourn. In time, God points us to a new heaven and a new earth, but that isn't where he starts. He starts by meeting us in that same grief he bore when his son was unjustly crucified. So that we are near to God in those moments, facing the brutal pain of death. And we're heartbroken. But our God is with us. He is near. And he's going to walk with us through the heartbreak, through the valley of the shadow of death, and bring us into new life. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize that we are frail. In fact, many of us come into this place as, as broken and cracked open in need of healing. And Father, we recognize that, that you alone are the one who heals and heals permanently and heals for good. And Lord, we, we pray for, for, for every one of us worshiping together today that for all of our cracks and for all of our brokenness and for every one of these broken hearts, Lord, that you would reach down and heal as only you can heal. Lord, that you would, you would comfort us as we mourn, that you would, you would carry us in our suffering and, Lord, that we would come through the pain knowing that we have a Savior who loves us deeply. And it's in the name of the Christ we pray. Amen.